Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. All right. Thank you for joining us for the Pharmacy Leadership Podcast. Our discussion for this podcast series focuses on leadership topics within pharmacy practice, including the business of pharmacy, development of leadership skills, career transitions, and more. My name is Cecilia Costello, PGY2 Health System Pharmacy Administration and Leadership Resident at UW Health in Madison, Wisconsin, and I will be your host today for the Pharmacy Leadership Podcast. With me today are two guests, Leah Whitman, Advanced Care at Home Pharmacist Team Leader at Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, Florida, Joseph Muscarella, Hospital at Home Clinical Pharmacist at Vanderbilt University Medical Center in Nashville, Tennessee. Thank you for joining us today, Leah and Joseph. Now we'll get started talking about today's topic, Hospital at Home Part 2, Clinical Considerations. Hospitals that are looking for alternative ways to provide acute level care for select patients can consider the Hospital at Home program, where patients can be safely monitored and managed from their home. This podcast will review the benefits, challenges, and technologies that have been used by organizations that have successfully implemented this service with a focus on clinical considerations. Now to start us off, I'm going to be asking you to both describe the hospital at home model at your institution. Leah, do you want to start us off? Sure. Thank you so much, Cecilia. So our hospital at home program is uh, currently operating in three sites in three different states. My focus is on patients in Jacksonville, Florida. We have a model where our patients are considered eligible for the program so long as they meet inpatient criteria and they're not in an observation status, um, at which point they would either transfer to us directly from the ED or from a brick and mortar bed to reduce the length of stay. Our pharmacy operation currently is based on an outsourcing model, which means that we don't dispense medications directly from our inpatient pharmacy, but we partner with pharmacies in the community to get the medication to the home. That's great. And Joseph? Yeah. Uh, thank you for uh, having me, Cecilia. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on the podcast. So our hospital at home program is a little uh, different than uh, Leah's. Uh, ours is relatively newer. Uh, we just went live in November 2021. Uh, and right now we're following strictly an acute care model, meaning we're just treating the patients in the acute phase uh, and end up dis- discharging them uh, with other services as needed. Uh, right now, uh, we can accept patients within a seven-county radius around Davidson County, which is where Nashville is. Um, so we're not necessarily limiting patients based on uh, a specific distance from campus. Uh, from a pharmacy standpoint, we send a 24-hour uh, supply of meds every day to the patient's home, um, and we in-source. So we use uh, uh, pharmacies, both our inpatient pharmacy and our on-site retail pharmacies for controlled substances. And then our patient care structure kind of consists of a daily mid-level provider visit with a twice-daily nursing visit. We operate uh, through the, the CMS waiver, uh, which it, according to what Leah was describing about her program, it sounds the same. And we're continuously monitoring them with remote monitoring equipment that we give them uh, on their way out of the hospital. So, Great. Excited to hear your two perspectives as we continue on in the podcast. Uh, so Our first topic or question is going to be, what is pharmacy's role in the day-to-day management of the hospital-at-home patient? And we'll start off with Joseph. Yeah, yeah. So as a clinical pharmacist in a hospital-at-home program, uh, I always like to joke around and say, you have to wear a ton of different hats throughout the day. In my head, I kind of group this up. So obviously, we're talking about clinical considerations here. So 
as a clinical pharmacist, we're doing your normal, you know, completing medication reviews, making pharmacotherapy related interventions, kinetics consults, warfarin consults. Um, and I like to put in a, a, a quick antimicrobial stewardship plug because I know that's a mutual interest between uh, me and Leah. Uh, but hospital at home is an awesome antimicrobial stewardship tool. Uh, it pre presents a unique opportunity to switch to, you know, once daily to twice daily antibiotics continuous infusions, um, and even de-escalating to PO antibiotics, maybe sometimes more quickly than we would if we had them in the inpatient setting. Um, so it definitely making those interventions gives us a logistical advantage when the patient's at home and really sets that patient up for success when it comes to treating uh, infections outside of the hospital. Uh, and then another big, I guess, component of hospital at home is uh, the operations side of things. Uh, for us, our central pharmacy staff is physically dispensing and verifying medications. I somewhat oversee that and then ensure the right drugs get to the right patients every day. Uh, I also package the drugs and forward everything to uh, our courier for a, a timely delivery. But I think a unique component of being a hospital at home pharmacist is mixed in with all of this is the transitions of care portion. Not only are we admitting and discharging, we have this patient that um, is already in the hospital we're sending them home, but they're still quote unquote hospitalized. And then at the end of their stay, we're discharging them. Um, so there's several different touch points, if you will, where we're going to be, uh, you know, really making those transitions of care interventions, reviewing medications. And then on top of all that, I sit on top of a, um, or sit on a clinical committee where we talk a lot about quality improvement initiatives. Um, so like I said, really mixed basket. Uh, you got to wear a lot of, a lot of hats throughout the day. So. That's great. Leah, anything you'd like to add? Oh, 110% agree with everything that Joey said. It's very much uh, lots of hats. Um, I guess first and foremost, at minimum, we, we manage all of our patients just like they would be managed in the hospital. And Joey said the same thing, but all of the consults he mentioned um, for us, because we outsource medications, there's also the additional element of uh, we're lucky enough to have Epic orders that allow us to place outpatient prescriptions. But for every medication that's listed on the hospital MAR, that's a part of the clinical plan, the provider also has to place an e-prescription to get the medication to the home. So the pharmacist luckily can verify both of those, which is I have heard from other programs is not sometimes not an option. Uh, so part of our role is also to reconcile and make sure that if the hospital order says Lovenox once a day, the prescription doesn't say twice a day. And we just make sure that all of those things are, are equal. For us, the clinical practice, I think, is kind of separated into three components, one being the ad admission point, the, that transitions of care, uh, one being just kind of the daily monitoring, and one being the discharge, which I think we'll talk about later. But the admission is a really key key piece because you, as a pharmacist, can look at the medication list and see, you know, is this something that we just added because it's a part of our hospital order set? Uh, did we put this patient on insulin and they've never been on insulin before and he's 85 years old and doesn't know how to give his own insulin? Um, so maybe that's something that we can peel off and just monitor. Nebulizer machines is another one that we don't really think about in the hospital, but if we're going to order nebulizers for someone, we should make sure that they have a machine and are able to operate it. We're also discontinuing unnecessary PRN medications that may just be a part of an order set to try to reduce the amount of waste that ends up in the home. And for us, we're completing an enhanced medication reconciliation 
kind of visit with a progress note. So that's that transitions of care visit he's talking about. Uh, daily practices, we do morning rounds, um, prospective audit and feedback. I uh, love the antimicrobial stewardship plug. This program is really great, I think, for de-escalating antibiotics, sometimes even just for logistical reasons. Um, as long as it's appropriate clinical care, they're a lot more receptive to that intervention. And then I, I want to touch on the quality improvement piece, too, because I don't know if it's just because it's a new program, if it's a new practice model that we're developing, but a lot of the pharmacists that are involved in this daily care are also, it's critical that you have leadership skills. And with this being a leadership podcast, I, I guess it's kind of appropriate to talk about uh, pharmacy. Here, we're involved in use case discussion. So anytime there's a new patient population they want to consider, for example, we've, we've treated um, bone marrow transplant patients, fresh kidney transplants, and pharmacy is very involved in what kind of medications are they going to need? And are we going to be able to source that from a community pharmacy? Because we can't use our, our inpatient pharmacy. There's a part of multidisciplinary task forces locally to address logistical issues, which there are a lot of them, I can guarantee you. And then we also have enterprise pharmacy work groups that are just kind of a pharmacist focused group. So we can troubleshoot issues, talk about med errors, track them, and try to develop solutions to the issues that we're all facing. That's great. What a great overview of the whole the whole process. Uh, now to get into some more of the nitty gritty, our next question is going to be: How does your hospital manage escalating a patient, a hospital at home patient who needs inpatient hospital services? So, for example, a patient who decompensates and would no longer be eligible for hospital at home after the service starts. And this time we'll start with Leah first. Sure. Yeah. So. First, um, I guess just clarifying that for us, this is an inpatient level of care. And there are a lot of things you can do in the home that you may not necessarily think um, based on the previous standard of care would be appropriate, but we are able to effectively manage someone with bolus fluids. We can start IV antibiotics. We can collect blood cultures. Um, if somebody's desaturating from a heart failure exacerbation, we can administer IV diuretics. Um, so part of my role is to be aware of what tools we have available and how can we prevent someone from bouncing back to the brick and mortar hospital. But obviously, like you said, there are situations where we do have someone that is hemodynamically unstable. They are still acutely ill, so they can decompensate. And for those patients, we have a rapid response team. Um, if it's just kind of a moderate uh, issue, maybe it's somebody that we need to bring back for imaging, um, or maybe it's that they need some blood or something. But then if there's someone who starts kind of seeming like they're going to circle the drain or getting into like septic shock area, that's at that point, we could just trigger 911. Um, and our, our 911 team around the area is very familiar with our, our program and some of our patients actually. And at that point, we would escalate them back to the brick and mortar hospital um, where we, we have a hybrid care unit that can house them until a bed is available. Excellent. And Joseph. Yeah, so it, we have some similarities in, in, you know, compared to Leah's program and how we've managed these patients that might decompensate at home. But for our listeners, I think a really important point is that these patients, like she said, are inpatients. And I think that a lot of people would be surprised uh, to, as to how many uh, acute conditions we can handle in the patient's home, anywhere from, you know, somewhere like a new, new AKI with severe electrolyte abnormalities. Um, you know, we've managed patients like, you know, with, with that sort of condition, new uh, oxygen requirements. But 
as she said, there are situations where these patients do require, you know, escalation of care and increased monitoring. Um, so if they decompensate to the point where they need more uh, intense monitoring or high level of care, uh, we have two pathways that we can follow. We have an emergent or urgent uh, pathway. We've also partnered with local EMS. Um, we made sure this was all set up before the program went live in November. Um, but in an emergent situation, uh, we would call 911 and give direct report to the EMS and uh, then have our emergency department colleagues receive that patient um, where they'll also be met by an attending physician associated with our program. And then there are also, uh, I guess, quote unquote, urgent situations where uh, maybe the patient just needs blood or they need uh, an MRI. Uh, we can actually use our, our personal life flight service, uh, transport the patient back to the hospital, um, you know, stabilize them, get them what they need, and then transport them back to the home if they don't need to be uh, further monitored in the, in the hospital. So, Excellent. Thank you for that. And how does your system manage the discharge process and capture patients from subsequent care? Uh, Joey, do you want to start us off with this one? Sure, absolutely. Uh, for the most part, our discharge process uh, mimics that of a traditional inpatient discharge. For, for us, from a pharmacy standpoint, really the biggest difference is, you know, if I need to do any sort of discharge counseling, we have the means to do so virtually. If sometimes, let's say they have a bad connection and the, our tablet isn't working, um, you can always use, you know, phone calls and, and whatnot. But we're also really lucky to have on-site retail pharmacies that can fill discharge prescriptions. So they act almost as a, a meds to beds. Uh, and this can be really advantageous for us from a, a medication compliance standpoint, because when I'm picking up those prescriptions from the retail pharmacy, I know they're getting sent to the patient's home and I know that the patient's getting them. Um, so that is definitely a, a huge advantage for us. As for capturing subsequent patients, this is often a barrier for hospital home programs, especially when they're first starting out. Um, I know for a fact that our team is continuously refining our intake process and uh, the methods in which we identify these eligible patients. We're constantly trying to spread the word about the program within our institution because we have the or our physicians have the ability to consult the hospital home team if they feel like their patient's uh, definitely a, an eligible candidate. Uh, and then we have a, a, an intake team that will screen them, um, go interview them, and, and make sure that they're interested. Otherwise, uh, because obviously we're not going to rely completely on uh, other physicians consulting us, um, we do have, the, like I said, the intake team that is constantly screening patients in the hospital um, and identifying them for admission to our program. That's great. Leah, anything to add there? Yeah, I first I just want to add, I think what Joey's doing at Vanderbilt is best best practice. I think that incorporating virtual discharge counseling is something that we are that's on our roadmap that we want to get there. And the meds to beds process is also something that our Northwest Wisconsin site has implemented recently and they've seen really positive results with that. So I think that's just fantastic. And I'm excited to get there one day with our practice as well. Right now, like I said, we have three sites and we have Historically, we've had two phases of our program. We've had an acute phase, which is the inpatient phase, and the restorative phase, which is an outpatient. Um, the Northwest Wisconsin site uh, no longer op offers the restorative phase. And recently in Florida, we just announced that we are also going to be eliminating that phase uh, for most patients. 
uh, but Arizona is still using it. Um, so in that situation, the advanced care at home pharmacy team and provider team would continue to monitor the patients for up to 30 days from their initial brick and mortar admission. Um, and that's just a kind of for those high risk patients to try to intervene at a point when they would bounce back to the ED to try to prevent that from happening. For all other patients, we will discharge straight from the acute phase, just like Joey said they do, and it is equivalent to an inpatient discharge. Uh, the advantage here that we have is that pharmacy is more involved at the discharge for these patients where we are discussing the discharge plans and daily rounds. We are we are verifying the discharge prescriptions uh, in Epic before they go to the dispensing pharmacy. So we're able to catch things in real time and correct them. Uh, and we also review the after visit summary, which has the patient's medication list. Uh, we can type in our counseling points and write anything that we want to the patient so that the nurse can go over it with them. Um, we also have a, our current process is to order a medication therapy management console for every patient that leaves our program. We are refining that to try to make it more of a triaged practice where the pharmacist can not necessarily just order it per protocol, but really kind of evaluate, see if it's needed. And then our, uh, we have an independent MTM pharmacy practice that will capture those patients after discharge as a part of their transitions of care clinic visits. That's great. And along the same lines, our next question is going to be, what is pharmacy's engagement in the patient's continuity of care? Leah, do you want to start us off with this one? Yeah. So uh, kind of jumping back to the last discussion is if we did have a patient in the restorative phase of care, um, male pharmacists would continue to monitor the warfarin and adjust the doses. We would be responsible for the vancomycin consults, even in an outpatient phase. Uh, we would still verify any prescriptions that came through and reconcile them with hospital orders. Um, and we would still reconcile the medication list at discharge. But for the patients that no longer qualify for a restorative phase of care, we would just be triaging them at discharge to see who needed an MTM consult. And then our pharmacy partners in the community, uh, MTM Pharmacy Clinic would follow up with them after that. Excellent. Joseph, anything to add on, on this piece? Uh, I think what Leah is doing is fantastic. I think that those MTM consults are, are, are very unique. And I, I, I think that that is a, an amazing service that her that her program provides. So uh, kudos to you, Leah. That's really amazing. Um, but for my, uh, so for my hospital at home patients, I, I like to think of it as almost a journey from, you know, before they get enrolled into the program to when they're discharged. So pre-enrollment, I think my, this kind of emphasizes the importance of having a pharmacist involved in a program like this is before we even enroll a patient, a lot of times my, my, attending providers will reach out to me and say, hey, make sure we can uh, provide these medications safely in the home. Are we able to do this sort of drip? Are we supposed to, are we, are we able to provide this um, antibiotic and an elastomeric pump? Um, so I'm included often in, in the, uh, the decision to whether or not we approach these patients. Um, and I think that's definitely a vital service that uh, any pharmacist can provide in a, a hospital at home program. Um, so as we move through into the admission, um, as this patient continues, we have to think about when are they leaving the hospital? As we flip these orders, so the way we work uh, at our institution is we have medication orders that are flipped into a different phase of care, so which would be our hospital at home phase of care. Um, and that 
makes it so the nurses cannot take the medications out of the omni cells on the floor. So can I provide these medications while this patient's waiting? Can I make sure that these patients get a dose of antibiotics before they leave the hospital? Um, definitely worth screening these patients for, for uh, touch points like that. Um, Post-enrollment, you know, we're, we're performing our normal clinical pharmacy activities. And then as they get discharged, um, make sure a formal med rec has been uh, performed and all medication changes have accurately, accurately been reflected on our, our AVS as well. Um, so those are all vital services that I think that um, can make this patient's uh, experience in a, in a program like this um, all, the, all the better. So That's great. A very holistic approach. Our next question is going to be, what advice do you have for pharmacy leaders to ensure to help ensure pharmacy has an integrated role within the hospital at home enterprise? Joey, do you want to kick us off on this one? Absolutely. Yeah. So I think one of the biggest takeaways uh, from my time here at Vanderbilt has been that I learned that it's extremely vital that pharmacy gets involved in the very early planning stages when we're, we're first laying out uh, plans for a hospital at home program. Um, because this really allows ample time to set up safe processes around uh, medication transport, management, controlled substances, uh, necessary IT builds. That's one, one thing I can't stress enough is getting IT involved early. They've provided us with plenty of builds that have made this all possible um, because this is such a, so different from our, our traditional uh, inpatient model. Um, it's really just vital to communicate with all the disciplines involved in the development of the medication process from new order to the patient home. So along with that, it's really important that um, to keep in mind that when it comes to practicing pharmacy in this type of model, um, we need to be really creative. Leah touched on this earlier in the podcast, but I think that is a, a huge priority because it, it's a really a disruption when it comes to uh incorporating this with your, your inpatient model. Um, we're dispensing everything from the same pharmacy that all of our inpatients are getting meds from. So how can we train fellow pharmacy colleagues to, I guess, accommodate our, our patients just as well as they do with the, uh, our, the patients that are already in the hospital? Um, so we have to think of new and, and innovative ways to accommodate these patients. And I, I can't really stress that point enough. Absolutely. Leah, anything to add? Yeah, just uh, how to ensure pharmacy has an integrated role. Um, ask questions. Uh, because once you start asking questions, people start realizing how much they're not thinking about. Pharmacy is a well-oiled machine at most places. And our operations in the background, they just, you know, we joked about it before we started. It's pharmacy will fix it. We'll make it happen. Um, so I think that asking questions and, and putting it in the forefront of people's minds that this is critically important and you need pharmacy involvement. Um, also, it's been really beneficial for our program here at Mayo Clinic to have a pharmacist in the actual command center. So I'm able to sit in the command center with the nurses, with the providers, uh, case management. We're able to just kind of bounce ideas off of each other and um, go through all of these things in real time, which has been great. But I think probably if I wanted to leave you with one message, it would be to expect constant change. It's been a struggle um, with a, from a leadership perspective to keep the workflows updated, to keep our inpatient pharmacy staff comfortable with how to operate in this setting. Um, and don't underestimate the impact that that's going to have on your staff. Because when they are 
type A people used to doing something very well and you throw them into kind of this chaotic situation, it can become very difficult to manage. Um, So constant change. Could not agree more. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you both today. Thank you so much for joining us. That is all the time that we have today. I really want to thank both Leah and Joseph for joining us to discuss the clinical considerations of Hospital at Home. You can find more member-exclusive content, including resources for self-development, leading pharmacy enterprises, and teams and practice management on the ASHP website. Thank you again for joining us, and be sure to subscribe to the at ASHP official podcast. Thank you. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.